Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories. Hey, hey, you're listening to the Notable Peeps podcast. My name's Steph. Today's episode is with Chloe Lindsay. And let me just describe Chloe for you. She's a spunky, cute brunette that is so witty and just has a laugh that makes you laugh. And she's someone that instantly when, you, when you're around her, you're like, that girl's rad. I want to be her friend. She was my co-host on another podcast that I do called the Utah Fan Club Podcast. And we interviewed this company that she's interning for right now called Tost. And here's just a little bit of Chloe's personality during that interview with Tost. I am the new co-host. I'm so, I'm so scared to be here. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't talk about it. I was thinking, yeah. I was trying to think of a roast oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> about having a planner at like five. Like, you were still stuck on the roast. I was like, still, still thinking still about it. About the roast. <laughs> She's like, mom, I can't go to kindergarten yet. I need my planner. As the scrunchy expert, I'll see people wearing them like on campus or in like retail stores I'll go at. I'll see them in their hair or on their wrists and I'm like, I know where that comes yeah. from. Like, I see that. I know where you got that. She's fun, right? Um, I I just like listening to some of those clips. I'm like, oh, she just was making me laugh that whole time. So during this interview, she had brought up that as a teenager uh, that she had attempted to to commit suicide, and I was like, what you? You know, because she just. She doesn't, I don't know why there's this stigma of what a person who's struggling with suicidal thoughts looks like, but in my mind, she didn't fit that stigma. And so I asked her to come on to Notable Peeps. And her topic about suicide and self-harm was a little bit more serious. So this is just jumping in as we start talking about her experience in junior high. So take us to Chloe as a junior high-year-old. Uh, high-year-old? That's my word. <laughs> junior high-girl. That's what I thought you were saying. So I, I, like, I was oh saying high-year-old. Yeah, that's not, yeah, so take us back to Chloe as a junior high-girl. What What was your life like? Um. So I was 14, start of my ninth grade year. And I mean, I'd had trouble sometimes in school here and there. I was bullied in a couple grades and was was kind of getting over that and I started my ninth grade year and this was when Tumblr was a big thing, right? Tumblr just came out. And so I got a Tumblr and I made my account and I started looking through everything and... Wait, pause. What's Tumblr? I've heard of it. But you don't what know it, what Tumblr is, girl? No. It's what? like an Instagram, but for blogs. Oh. So you follow like blogs and that's like a really big fandom thing. So people who like, like Harry Potter or... Lord of the Rings or certain like musical stars like Taylor Swift, they'll have these blogs dedicated to things like that and they'll post images or like song lyrics and you can do hashtags and everything. So you can search hashtags and find different blogs and everything. So it's like an Instagram for blogs. Apparently, I'm not as hip <laughs> that I had to ask what Tumblr is, but <laughs> okay, so continue. You got a Tumblr. Um, I got a Tumblr. And I was, like, looking at blogs to follow and to, like, increase my, um, I guess, my view of what I could see on your timeline. Because you only see stuff on blogs you follow or recommended blogs. 
And so there was this one recommended blog that had a picture of a young boy and he had like scars all the way up and down his arms. And I was 14 and I was like, interesting, like, what is that? And so I clicked on it and then I just spiraled down this um, tunnel of all these blogs that were like talking about mental health in kind of like an unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. And they were very, a lot of the blogs I saw were very pro-suicide, very pro-eating disorders, pro-self-harm. And I, you, there was always like a story section on these blogs. So you could go read people's stories. And as I read them, I realized I was like, I'm a lot like these people. Like my parents were divorced when I was a baby. I had suffered from, I didn't know at the time, but I was suffering from mental illness. And the more I read about these people, the more I was like, oh, I'm just like these people. And if these people found happiness or peace in these destructive tendencies like self-harm, Maybe I can too. And so then I started self-harming when I was 14. And wait, so self-harming, like taking a blade to your wrist or how? Um, so self-harm actually involves a variety of things. Uh-huh. It can be anywhere from like razor blades or scissors or even like thumbtacks and nails is like a common thing or like burning is another thing. So people will take like curling irons and like touch themselves with it to burn themselves. It's any kind of like intentional way to hurt yourself. And self-harm. So I was... I didn't know that. I had only yeah. heard of cutting, but... Yeah. So oh, the burning isn't... And I mean, I'm no expert on this yeah, topic. Yeah. But burning isn't as talked about in society. I was never a burner, but I've known a couple friends who that was their preferred method of like self-harm because it was easier to hide. If they'd be like, oh my gosh, what happened to your arm? It's like, oh, I was curling my hair and I dropped my curling iron on my arm. That was, uh, that to me, that seems less questionable oh, yeah. than like cuts on oh, your yeah. arm. So some people might do it because it's easier to hide like reasoning behind it. Um, but I actually started with like a dry cherry stem that I found in my house. It was really rough and I like started dragging it across my skin and I was like, this is nice. Like, I like this. And then it escalated from there to scissors, where I I would never use blades, but I would use scissors to self-harm. And so I did that. So did that take away I, – I mean, I'm just trying to understand yeah, for a little yeah. bit. Did it take away – Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like, it – the best way I can describe it is it was like there was like a buildup of emotions in me that I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know – even if I had someone to talk to, I didn't know what to say. And so when I would cut, it was almost like I was cutting and then the emotions would like come out of me. Like it was a way for me to release all these like pent up emotions that I had. And it actually got to the point in high school where I couldn't sleep unless I had self-harmed because it just, this wave of like relief would come over me every time I did it. And that was the only way that I could calm down enough to go to sleep. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So so then you got into to self-harm. Mm-hmm. So I did the self-harm in junior high and high school, all through high school, um, until my senior year. But I was a self-harmer, and then I got to high school, and I developed a mild case of like an eating disorder where it was kind of like a mix between anorexia and binging and purging because I'd go a while without eating and then I'd eat like everything in sight and then I would go through the same self-hatred, like self-destruction cycle where I would be like, okay, well, like, because you ate this, like, you're not worth eating again. Like, you can't eat for the, like, next three days. But then I would break, eat something, and then I would exercise in my bedroom and, like, I did a lot of strenuous 
like sit-ups and stuff in my bedroom where it's like, I can't go to bed until I do 200 sit-ups where I've never been an active person. So that's like a lot of sit-ups for mm-hmm. me. And that's so, a lot of sit-ups regardless. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I have to do this before I can sleep. And I would keep myself up at night doing that. And I got sick a lot because if you're not eating and you're not sleeping, your body's going to crash. So I would get sick and just kind of hide it and just keep going to school and everything. But that kind of all added together all the stress and of being in high school and being struggling with these these thoughts and these ideas that the world would be better off if I wasn't alive, that I attempted suicide in high school. I was 15. It was a month before my 16th birthday. And I just remember feeling like to the point where I was like, I'm so worthless that like my death would be a celebration for the world. And so like I did try to kill myself and I tried to overdose on medication. And I remember waking up uh, when it failed and was so upset that it didn't work. Um, I remember being, I remember thinking hundreds of people kill themselves a day. Like you're so worthless. You can't even kill yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I'm a very religious person. So then I prayed to my heavenly father and was like, I don't understand like why I'm feeling this way. I don't understand what like why I'm being punished almost to feel this way. And that's my big like kind of revelation moment where I distinctly remember feeling like two arms wrap around me and like hug me and tell me that like everything was going to be okay and that I was going to overcome this. And ever since that day, I fought really hard to overcome these ideas that I wasn't worth living and overcome these tendencies to hurt myself. And I have, I haven't self-harmed since my junior year of high school. I haven't attempted suicide since my sophomore year of high school. And I still have the thoughts, like I still have the desire to self-harm. And I still have the suicidal thoughts, especially when I get really stressed. Uh, It's easy to be like, oh, well, if I just drive my car into a tree, maybe I could end it all. Or maybe if I jump off this bridge, I won't have to live anymore. And, but yeah, don't worry, guys, I'm fine now. Well, I mean, I'm functioning. No, but I just think, yeah, I think that it's, like, those thoughts where you're, like, the world would rejoice if I wasn't here. And and that's not just, like, you're in this self-pity party, but it's, like, mm-hmm. you really are thinking. And you have family, and you have friends, mm-hmm. and you have, yeah. you know. And I was actually, I mean, I definitely would not say I was popular. I had, like, four or five friends. But they were close friends, and yeah. we would we would do stuff together. We'd hang out Friday nights, and... And I still genuinely believe that they were like only hanging out with me because they pitied me or that, that I wasn't who they thought I was, was this really big, like kind of identity crisis I was going through. I was like, these people think I'm really funny and I'm really nice and like, I'm like the life of the party. And yet, like, I am over here, like, actually wanting to die. So I always felt bad because I felt like I was lying to my friends and my family and presenting this fake image of myself. And that was kind of, like, a really big driving factor after I recovered and went to like, to college. I was starting to think about it, and I did a project in my freshman year. Um, my writing teacher encouraged us to write about a personal issue. And I never told – I told one person my entire – um, time in high school about what I was going through. That's what I was like. So no one knew. No. So I told one person she'd been my best friend since before preschool. We lived in the same neighborhood. We went to school together our whole lives. We're still really close friends to this day. But she was the only person that I actually told. And she was a really good 
ally for me. Like, she never told anyone. She never... Um, and I mean, some people could question her actions, but she was a really good support system for me because she never told anybody. She never pressured me to like, to tell like my mom or to mm-hmm. seek help. Like she just was really good. She'd like, let me like call her and like cry and like talk about it. And I remember once I was in seminary and I was wearing shorts that were a little too short because you could see my, like my marks. You could see the cuts I had done like a few days prior. So I freak out and I call her. She leaves her class because um, here in Utah we have seminary during class. So she leaves her class at school, walks over to the seminary building, sits me down on the floor in the seminary building and gets all, all this makeup. And she's trying to help me cover up the marks because she doesn't want me to feel like isolated. She doesn't want other people to find out because she knows how devastating that would be for me. And that was always a really big defining moment of how much I knew she cared for me was mm-hmm. the fact that she was willing to miss class to help me cover up my shameful secret. And that's something that I will always be grateful for her to this day, that she was willing to help me that way. So when you said that you attempted suicide, like, did your parents ever know? No, I told – I mean, they like, everybody knows now. I'm yeah. very open on – especially my social media. Yeah. But I told my mom, like, a couple years later, but – she just thought I was sleeping all day. So only that friend knew mm. everything that was mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. That's a lot to go through, but a lot to go through for a teenager and a mm. lot to go through without, like, adults yeah. knowing. Yeah. So that's something that I push really heavily for um, right now is I push for more education in schools. Because the very first time I remember hearing about suicide and self-harm was when I my second semester of my sophomore year of high school. And by then, I was already planning a suicide attempt. By then, I'd already been self-harming for a, a year and a half. And so for me, it was too late. And to hear about, like, the consequences of these actions. And so I feel like if we taught kids sooner about these damaging self-destructive tendencies and how to prevent them and focus kind of on, like, the consequences as opposed to, like, like, there's definitely a certain way to teach them so it doesn't encourage kids to try them without, but by warning them how dangerous they really are, because I still know people who started in junior high and are 22 years old and still self-harming because they were never able to overcome it, and they still fight every day to overcome it, and I believe if they, if everybody learned earlier, it would be easier to overcome. All that you went through by yourself and and you said like that really defining moment was afterwards when you felt like Heavenly Father be like, okay, Mm -hmm. you can get through this. And so, I mean, you said that you still have those thoughts, yeah, but you haven't self-harmed, you haven't tried to commit suicide, but you still have those thoughts. So like sometimes in my life, it's like I can know something, but it's really hard even though I know it Mm -hmm. to continue to improve my I don't know if this is making sense no and so like sense. even though you have that knowledge that that you have a God that loves you like mm-hmm. how has that how have you physically been able to make these changes in your life and to even when you're stressed to be like no I'm not going to self-harm like what mm-hmm. have you done I guess something that I think is really important is opened up communication lines so I'm um, kind of like I was saying earlier my Freshman year of college, my teacher encouraged us to write a personal essay, and I'd never talked about it. My only that one friend knew, and I prayed about it and was like, 
is this something I should do? And I got like an overwhelming like, yes, like you need to write about this experience. And so I wrote this personal essay about how I was a self-harmer. I wrote, talked about my eating disorder. I talked about my suicide attempt, talked about it all. And actually did a presentation at the end of the semester in front of my whole class about suicide statistics in America. And at the very end, I was like, listen, this is real. Like, I tried to commit suicide and everybody in my class, like, audibly gasped. Like, people don't admit that. People don't own up to things like that. And I talked about it. And ever since then, I've been very vocal on my social media documenting my... I have since been diagnosed with depression and anxiety um, on top of a mood disorder. And so I've been very open about the medications that I take, the trials I've gone through while taking, like, medication trials to see, like, which ones fit work together and fit best with my body type and my... I guess like structure. Well, I don't genetics. <laughs> Chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Like what well, I've worked really hard to make sure like all the medications I'm taking work together and work with my chemistry and make sure that everything kind of balances each other out. And then I I talk, I've I have several best friends who have been my best friends have been there. They know what it's like to self-harm. They know what it's like to want to die. And we have a very open communication line where we can joke with one each other and be like, oh my gosh. I miss the screen light. I want to die. And we'll just be like, same. And then we move on. Like we open up a very easy communication line where if I ever start feeling really stressed and feel like I want to self-harm or feel like I want to take my own life, I can reach out to or my mom or my friend and be like, listen, like I'm not doing so hot. I need your help. And they'll mm-hmm. come and they'll hang out with me or they'll help me do my homework or whatever is stressing me out, they'll help me overcome. And I think that is a really big thing when it comes to mental illness and when it comes to these things that are considered shameful and things that shouldn't be talked about is if we open up these communication ways, that's how we cope with mental illness. And that's how we can overcome these struggles in these teenage boys and girls and adult men and women who are struggling with self-harm and suicidal thoughts but feel like they can't talk about it is because this shame culture that surrounds it. So I genuinely feel like the more I talk about it, the more other people talk about it, the more other people talk about it. And soon we'll live in a society where mental health isn't a shameful thing, where it's something that you can be open about and other people will step up to help you. Like I might always struggle with depression and it's good to be upfront with that and establish that and be comfortable, confident and comfortable in who you are if you're looking for a partner. One of my mottos, never give up on someone with a mental illness. When you replace I with we, illness becomes wellness. That's kind of some advice I have because mental illness is very rampant these days. Um, and statistically, it affects more women than men. Um, it happens a lot in college-age kids too. A oh, really? lot of college-age kids are plagued by it, whether it's lifelong or whether it's situational. Um, college is a very stressful time for a lot of people, so it's not uncommon for them to de- to develop depression or anxiety. And so dating is really hard when you struggle with these things where you don't even want to get out of bed. So I think like some of my advice for people who are struggling with mental illness but who want to find a companion is that you have to become comfortable with yourself. Like you have to become comfortable with yourself and your quote-unquote shortcomings and your your struggle with mental illness and with these other self-destructive tendencies if you have them and be comfortable with them and then be willing to communicate them with your partner because a lot of people do it in secret and that only results in more hurt feelings because if I were to self-harm not only am I hurting myself anymore I'm hurting my mom I'm hurting all the people who have messaged me on social media saying that 
I have inspired them and have encouraged them to seek help or encouraged them to speak out about their trials. And I'm not willing to let that many people down. So when I'm stable in a stable mental state, so I'll be like, oh, I have two tests coming up next week. I'll probably have a breakdown because I'm so stressed. I'm so anxious about it. And my anxious breakdowns lead to depressive episodes where I get so stressed about it that I can't do anything. Like all I need to do is like disconnect, sleep for 12 hours and just forget everything. A lot of the time I'm like, LOL, self-care. Don't study for your tests. Just go take them. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I have like a list. I'm like, oh, if I'm sad, I like to watch this or I like to listen to this. And that kind of helps get me back to like a functioning mode. What are some of the things you like to watch or listen to? Um, my favorite TV show is Bob's Burgers. I've never seen that. <laughs> it's this animated show, but it's way classier than like Simpsons or Family Guy. Like it actually okay. makes sense. Bob's Burgers. But it's really funny. Brooklyn Nine-Nine okay. is like a funny show. For reference, if you've ever seen it, I'm, I've am i been told by several different people that the secretary, Gina, is a realistic version of me. Like I'm, oh, really? I'm like exactly like her. Yeah. So that might help you guys listening to kind of figure out who this personality is because <laughs> I'm very extra. I'm very extra or – what's the word I'm looking for? Extrovert? Extrovert, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say extraordinary, which <laughs> Not not As true. She flips her hair. <laughs> but food is a good one. Yeah, I'm always yeah. hungry. So mm-hmm. sometimes I because I also sometimes will for, genuinely will forget to feed myself, or I still have the thoughts where it's like, oh, I'm too big to eat. Mm-hmm. Like I need to skip a meal because I need to lose weight. The demons behind eating disorder still plagues me too. Where I'll be like, you don't deserve to eat. You're too fat, or you're you have haven't been eating well, so you just shouldn't eat at all. And so I will skip meals intentionally or subconsciously. Uh, at least for me, when I get super depressed, I just like to stay in my bed. Uh-huh. And I don't like, like, I like my hygiene takes a really big dip. And, like, sometimes people are like, that's so gross. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that's the reality. That's the reality of someone, uh, at least in my situation with depression. So it's like I'll post pictures on Instagram of me crying and I'll have my makeup smeared all over the place. And I'm like... This is a reality. Like, I just had a breakdown because McDonald's forgot to give me a straw for my Coke. And, like, this is a reality. <laughs> and, like, I like to make a lot of jokes about, like, my mental illness and even about um, my past with, like, self-harming and eating disorders and everything because I feel like that makes it this such a heavy topic. It makes it a lot lighter mm-hmm. and it makes it easier to relate to and it makes it easier to connect with other people. So I make a lot of jokes about it. And even though it's a very serious issue, I think by doing that, it helps me open up a lot more channels to talk about it. And the more channels I open to talk about, the more people I'm able to help. The fact that you can just make jokes with with things. Yeah, that's a really big deal. I have a lot of friends who I'm friends with because they made a joke and I laughed or I made a joke and Mm -hmm. they laughed. Like one of my best friends, me and her met at a play at BYU. And a character died. She leans over a little bit and says, jealous. And I lost it. Like, really? me and her are left. This is like a sad play, right? Uh-huh. Me and her are losing it. And we left that play. And, we, like, I never met her before. Like, that, uh-huh. I met her at the play. And we left that play. And it's been, like, a year. And we've been best friends ever since. Just because of one play she made a joke about. Because she also has suicidal thoughts. So mm-hmm. she made a joke about that. And now we're best friends about it. If I were to hear something like that, I would be like, ah, I don't really know what to say. Yeah. Like, I first thought I want to be like to laugh, you know? Yeah. But like you guys have that. 
connection where you yeah. like you get it. So it opens a lot of doors and it helps me um it helps me be able to connect with a lot of people who aren't as open with their stories, who aren't as open uh with talking about what they've been through. I've met people in class, I've met people at hockey games, I've met people who are just walking down the street. I mean, I have I remember once at a hockey game the and I have social anxiety, but the Holy Ghost was was whispering to me and it was like, dude, talk to this girl in front of you. And I was like, no. It's like, I don't know her. Like, I'm just trying to watch this game. No way. He's like, talk to this girl in front of you. I was like, fine. So I tap her on the shoulder and I'm like, hey, you're really cute. What's up? Like, she might have thought I was hitting on her. I don't know. But we just we just start talking and we, we swap Instagrams. And I did a podcast at BYU. I did uh-huh. a BYU podcast a couple years back. Um, with like a similar topic and it's in my Instagram bio, like the link to it. And she clicked on it and she listened to it and she actually had an eating disorder in high school too. Really? So she listened to my podcast and she reached out to me on Instagram and was like, Hey, thank you for like, like talking about this. She's like, I feel like I finally have someone I can relate to. And so it's crazy how often you can relate to people if you just open your mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like in high school, you only had one person you were sharing with, like, mm-hmm. and they're able to see that you're open about They know that you're a safe place for them to go. Yeah. So what's your advice to family or friends of people that they have someone that has suicidal thoughts or are self-harming? Like, how do they go about talking to them about it or helping them or, like, what what do you wish that people would have done for you? I mean, you talked about your friend and how she helped. Yeah. 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 I think it's very, very situational. So it definitely depends on the person and the severity of what they're doing. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is just to make sure they know that you're there for them and you love them regardless of what they're going through. Like, it doesn't matter if this quote unquote shameful thing you're doing it doesn't matter because I still love you and I'm still here for you. So being able to show up and show them that you're supportive. Um, a big thing for me was it was helpful if somebody came to me and they'd be like, listen, like, I'm just really sure. Like, if they shared a secret with me, I felt much more confident in sharing it a secret with them because mm-hmm. it almost kind of felt like leverage. Like, yeah. oh, if they tell the whole school that I'm self-harming, I have this that yeah. I can hold on to. And I mean, most of the, like, your friends aren't going to do that to you. Like, your two friends are not going to try to get your secrets and tell other people. Yeah. Your mom isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Your sister's not going to do it. Like, these people genuinely care about you. And so it's just easy to make that – like, it's not easy, but – that's the first step is to really make it known to them that you love them and you support them and that they can trust you and that you're not going to institutionalize them for making a thought, you know, for because for just simply thinking, oh, I want to hurt myself, that doesn't necessarily mean you should be institutionalized. Like sometimes it just means you need someone to talk to and it means perhaps you need to see like a doctor or a therapist or or just have somebody who listens to you and wants to hear what you have to say. And so it's really important to be there for them and listen to them and know that you love and support them. And then figure out, help them find out ways to cope. Like I said, I make jokes with a lot of my friends and that's kind of how we check in with each other. We'll send memes to each other about depression and everyone will just kind of text back in and be like, I'm still alive. And it's like, that's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. Know that you're still alive. You're still fighting. And so if they like jokes, make jokes with them. If they need to learn how to cope like if they have like fidgeting problems and they need help get them a fidget toy that they can like play with in class um you know it's it's just showing that you care and showing that you want to help them 
So what are some, I mean, you talked about like if they have a fidgeting problem, give them a fidget, but what are some resources that helped you? Like, were there any articles or any? Um, so like music, music was a pretty big thing mm-hmm. to me. I found a lot of songs that were like either subtly or not so subtly having to do with mental illness. Demi Lovato has a few really good songs about struggling with eating disorders and self-harm. Um, I think self-harm, but I know Demi Lovato has a few songs that have to do with like fighting mental illness. Kelly Clarkson has some good ones about like overcoming your trials. So I listen to a lot of like songs to help bump me up. I do watch, like I said, I do watch like funny TV shows. I have like a fidget cube that has like the six sides have different buttons you can push and levers you can pull that I'll play with in class to make sure that I'm focusing enough. I also am really big on self-care. So like there are times when I just don't do a homework assignment because I'm so stressed about it that I'm spiraling and I know that I could stop this spiral if I just am like, you know what? I'm just not going to do this assignment. Like, I'm just going to put on a movie or I'm going to go to bed early or I'm going to take a shower because I haven't showered in five days. And, like, I'm just going to take care of myself. And a lot of people, the fact of missing, like, a school assignment or calling into work is something that – or ditching friends even – is something that they can't even phantom. They're like, oh, there's no way I can skip this assignment or ditch my friends. And I'm like, listen, but you can because it's so important to take care of yourself and your mental health that – Though, like, those people will understand. If they're your friends, they'll understand if you need to bail. One assignment doesn't mean, like, missing an assignment doesn't mean you're going to fail your class. Calling in sick one day to work isn't going to get you fired. And if it does, it's probably not a good job for your mental health anyway. Like, it's just important to for me to realize, like, sometimes I can cope with it and sometimes I just need to give in to it. And I just need to be like, you know what? I'm just going to be sad for today and I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. I'm just going to lay here. And then the next day be like, we're done. Like, we're done feeling sorry for ourselves. We're going to get up. We're going to get to work. When it comes to, like, your friends, if you have plans to hang out with them, I have often texted them and been like, listen, I'm having an off day. I can't physically perform. Like, I can't be there and be a part of what you guys are doing. Please go have fun without me. And my friends are all very understanding. Like, they're all like, do you need us to bring you something? And I'm like, nah. They're like, okay, we'll see you next week or we'll see you next time. And so it's really important to to always invite your friends that you know or suspect are struggling with mental illness. Make sure they always know that they're invited and make sure that even if they're having a rough day, they don't have to perform for your group. They don't have to be themselves. They can be sad and still be with you. And like you're not going to expect them to act different or to stop being like a downer. They just want you there. It, you know, you can make some excuse and be like, oh, I'm tired. I need to go to this or whatever. But when you actually are honest and you say, hey, I'm struggling, people are understanding. Like you were understanding with me. So with our other podcast episode, I've been in a funk this pa- these past couple months and I haven't really had a desire to podcast. And you were asking like, hey, when is this going to be up? Because they were so nice. They ha- You guys had like a discount code and mm-hmm. it was for the fall line. And I just was like, hey, to be honest, like I haven't been able to concentrate and to do this. And you're like, Hey, I get you. Like, get it when you're, when you can. You're good. And that was like such a relief that like, I didn't have to lie and be like, Oh, I'm just so swamped. I can't get to it, which wasn't true at all, you know, or like make some excuse. But I think that when you can be transparent with people, like oftentimes they're understanding and they don't make you feel like crap, you know? Well, they're understanding and it helps. I'm again, I'm very big on opening communication. 
like wavelengths. And so when you can text them instead of being like, hey, I'm tired or I have homework, instead of being like, listen, I'm having an off day or I'm in a funk or I just, I need some time to myself. If you're honest, your friends are going to be understanding. They're going to respect you. Your teachers, your bosses, they're going to understand. They're going to respect you. And then it becomes easier on yourself because you don't feel like the need to lie. You don't feel the need to cover up what you're struggling with. And I genuinely believe that that helps tear down the stigma surrounding mental illness when you're not afraid to be honest and you're not afraid to say, listen, I'm having a depressed day. I'm so sad I can't get out of bed. I'm not going to make it to class or I'm not going to make it to dinner. That helps break down these ideas that you can't talk about mental health and it helps encourage everyone else to be more honest and encourages everyone else to be more understanding and to talk more transparently themselves. So good plug for all of us to just be honest. If we don't want to do something, it's okay. Yeah. What's your advice to someone right now that's like struggling with suicidal thoughts or self-harm and they feel like it's impossible to stop or they feel like, like how you said before that that like this world would be a better place without them. My go-to thing is I was there. I've been there. I know what it's like to think it's impossible to live and to think it's impossible to go on. And here I am. I'm 21. I'm almost 20. I'll be 22 in about six months. So uh, it's been six years and I'm in college. I just got accepted to my program. So I'm going to be able to major in what I love doing. I'm going to... When I was 15, I didn't see any of this in my future. I think... When If you're at this point where you think the world will be better off without you, I can guarantee you it won't. Because if I would have killed myself six years ago, I wouldn't be here being able to tell my story. And, and I'm just a normal person. Like, I'm not some kind of celebrity who, who, who overcame this trial and became rich and famous. I'm just your everyday 21-year-old who struggles with depression, whose biggest accomplishment so far is that I can still get my ass out of bed every single day. It's the small victories that matter. You don't have to get up and save the world. You just have to get up and save your world. Oh, I love that. I'm going to make a quote out of that. You don't say that again. You don't have to get up and save the world. You just have to get up and save your world. Yeah, mic drop there. That's We're awesome. done. Like, it really does get better. And I know that's such a, che- like, cheesy cliche to say, but you can't see the future now. I-, I couldn't see the future then. Even now, I can't see the future. But I know that ever since I decided to do better, my life has gotten better. And yeah, there's setbacks and there's fallbacks. And there are times when I wish things had turned out differently. But at the end of the day, I'm still so happy to be alive. And I'm so grateful that I fought and continue to fight every day. So I encourage you guys to do the same. Well, if you want to contact Chloe, you can find her on Instagram at... It's at Clojo1234. So C-H-L-O-J-O-E-1234. And do you have an email you want to give people? I have like the email from when I was 12. Hotmail? Yeah, it's still <laughs> Hotmail. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, yeah, so if Just you want to... send me a message on Instagram, man. Okay, send you a message on Instagram. So if you're struggling, reach out. So I have the number here for Utah's crisis line, but it's free. It's confidential. It's 24-7. They receive very strict training. I've known some people who actually worked here and they, they go through months of training to be able to help people with their specific problems and their specific needs. So I'm a pretty big fan and the phone number is 801-691-5433. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. And remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thank you.
Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories. Mm-hmm.